Hey listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up-to-date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive, dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com, promo code RUN20. Don't miss out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. This podcast is supported by Macy's. Mother's Day is May 12th, and Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Shop by price, 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrances and handbags. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything or for grandma. Macy's has all the hottest gift ideas like Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, Samsung smart TVs, and more. Go to macy's.com slash gift finder to shop. That's macy's.com slash gift finder today. This is The Run Through. I'm Chloe Mal, and I brought back two of our beloved friends who have been really steering the ship for the last few weeks. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, we're jumping out from the corner and getting surprised. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Jose Creado. I'm Laya Garcia Furtado. <laughs> we just couldn't live without them this week. Period. We're happy to report we yeah. didn't break anything. I know. <laughs> I was going through withdrawals this week, so this is really helpful. Yeah. It's, it's, it's soothing us out. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I have – there's all of these headlines to talk about. <laughs> what did you have to talk about? What did you have to talk about? Well, mostly just like, you know, just the continuation of uncuffing season, which we talked about last week. And we don't need to uh, – but yeah. I just kept thinking like, wow, we were right. <laughs> you were on We were on it. Yeah. But what are some things that actually did happen this um, week? Beyonce and Taylor Swift controlled the, <laughs> the traffic. Yeah, wait <laughs> – <laughs> Tell us more about that because I did think it was kind of amazing that both of them, like yes. the same week. It's kind of iconic. So, both of them, as you'll probably know based on your TikTok or Instagram feeds, um, have massive concerts going on, right? Mm, so, Taylor Swift has the Eras tour and Beyonce has Renaissance World tour. And last week, it was reported that Taylor gave $100,000 yeah, bonuses 100, 000, to all the exactly, truck drivers on the tour, which is iconic. incredible. And then Beyonce had a concert in the D.C. area earlier this week, and it went over time. And I think the Metro closes, I think, at midnight or something like that. So she covered the additional $100,000 cost to run more trains, keeping all 98 stations open for customers. So they could go back home after Renaissance. It's like it's not even the cost of it all because, of course. It's the the flex. It's the flex. Like, did somebody... Okay, so I think think what apparently happened is that there was a storm that had to have them, like, shelter in place, which is why the concert started late and it went, like, later than it should have ended. Who has— Who texted Beyonce? If I needed to call the head of the MTA right now to say, hey, 
you know, <laughs> can keep I the Venmo L train, you? Can I, keep the L can train I cash running you for a weekend? Who would I call? Also, how do you know it's 100000 I have so many questions. Yes, and we might not ever get answers. We will never get answers. But what was the amazing line in Barbie? <laughs> There's <laughs> Okay. I think this is like Please nobody cancel Jose or Chloe or anyone here. We're just re- reporters of culture. This is just funny. A reflection of culture. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's that iconic <laughs> line in Barbie where um, Gloria, aka America Ferrara's daughter, calls Barbie, aka Margot Robbie, a fascist. fascist. <laughs> and then Margot, aka Barbie, goes outside and cries in her beautiful pink cowboy outfit. And she's just like, "How can I be a fascist? I don't control what is it? I don't control the traffic or the flow of commerce." <laughs> <laughs> well, because the anti-leftists do control the traffic, they sure do, and the flow Not, of commerce. No, the flow of commerce because these tours are keeping a lot of people. Employed. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I always feel like it's a little goofy to talk about the female dollar, yeah. but it is kind of an amazing it moment this summer of Beyonce, Taylor, and now Greta Gerwig with Barbie exactly. and Margot, like. That's shot. It's incredible. It's incredible. And I think it's sort of like, you know, I feel like every time there is like a big uh, film by a female director, like the last time the last time it happened, I think it was like Chloe Zhao with um, The Eternals, right? Yeah. People are like, oh, my God, look, turns out that like, you know, female directors or like like female-led stories with like Captain Marvel or like any movie really can actually like drive people to film. I'm like, why is this news? Yeah. I mean, this really, because there's this sort of accepted notion in Hollywood that Women will spend money to go to more male-centric films, but men will not spend money to go to ladies' films. Yes. And Barbie Barbenheimer really busted that open. Most certainly did. Um, I'm, I don't know. I think it's, it's very exciting. I think it's, I think it's just a really cool story overall. Uh, Jose, you had a fun assignment last minute this weekend. Yes. So, and I actually discovered it on your Instagram, and you made me like chuckle out I have loud. So many questions tell about this. tell us what I'm talking about. So <laughs> this is a story. Saturday morning, Sabato de Sarno, who is the new creative director of Gucci, whose first collection will debut in Milan in September, aka next month. He announced the first phase of his first campaign for Gucci, which is a he high just, jewelry campaign. He dropped a picture. He dropped a picture and just a cute little caption. And it's Dario Where were we? Where were we? I think it is Where were we? Yeah, it's Where were we? English is like a language speaker. A lot of things sound yeah. weird in my mind. Anyway, so Daria, who we all know as this like iconic arts model, right? Yeah, how old do we think Daria is? Daria. Daria's like what, 39. And But she is the face of Gucci. What's funny about this is that everyone thought that she was going to be the face of. Phoebe Philo. Well, that was the big yes. news, I thought. I, because yeah. this is yeah. such a curveball. Mm-hmm. So, Phoebe Philo, uh, former Celine designer, Chloe yes. designer, launching her online, also in September. Also in September. Everyone's been waiting for the comeback of Daria because towards, I think, the latter eight, I don't mm-hmm. think it was always, but I feel it like was towards the latter, the latter years. years of her at Celine, like Daria was basically like the Phoebe Philo, like stand in. Because she is like a doppelganger. Like yeah. they look very it's similar. True. Yeah. yeah. So the whole time we've been like, oh, my God, if Phoebe's returning, that means Daria is returning. Yes. Because so, Daria's been retired. Yeah, yeah she retired, retired in 2016. She started to in 2003. Like Cork, and re- Ireland, right? She's yes. just like straight vibing. Yeah, she's vibing. She retired in 2016, but like fully retired. Not like the other girls that are like, I'm never coming back. And then a year yeah. later, they're like the face because of something. Because the thing about her is like, she was definitely like almost too cool for model. And she's yeah. like, yeah, I model, but like I, you know care about exactly. science or something. I don't know. Um, Nothing yeah, you can't do, but She, like, you know fully I mean. walked away from everything. But I thought this was great. Obviously, the conversation that morning was, like, 
oh my god why is it not with phoebe like do they even like oh, know each other like pro- she probably got phoebe like a must massive be mad. oh yeah Low-key. but she was you know the conversation online was kind of like oh daria was probably like enticed by a very by a lot of zeros then are there non-competes i mean who's made I'm this sure agreement there has to be one what happened then is that Savato posted after posting in his caption with the original with the, with the campaign photo that David Sims um, took he was like oh we've known each other since we both started in the business in 2003 TLDR what actually happened is that Daria's first main season was for the fall 2003 season that was the that was also the time where she fronted the Prada fall winter 2003 campaign at around the same time Savato started his career in the business working at Prada so they probably both met babies. back then mm-hmm. as babies to further the fact that, like, they have actually known each other for so long. So I had to send a, like, posted a photo that we also, like, posted on Instagram as well, Runway. His receipt. His receipt. Yes. Of them literally 20 years ago. Like, him now has, like, a bus cut with, like, tons of, like, her beautiful curly hair. She has her brows uh, bleached. bleached. Oh and my her hair God. is like nuts yeah. too. And it's like, it's a printout of a photo. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like an iconic receipt. It's he like, like he took a picture with his phone of a picture that he's exactly. had for years. And it's giving, by the way, I got here first. Yeah. In other news, can you guys tell me a little bit? I saw a headline that UK stylists are unionizing. What does that mean? Because to me, I feel like stylists are, they work across so many different kinds of types of styling and uh, circumstances. I, I don't know. It just seems like a not a universal. No, no. This is very much an extension of the a strike, you know, of the writer strike and, and, and everything. And I think specifically it's like celebrity stylists that are mm-hmm. unionizing. Interesting. And I think uh, the uh, the guy that started it, Michael Miller, he is a celebrity stylist. Who does stylist. he style? I think it's very much related to that. And I get it. You know, they get paid... Like I've, you know, it's like you get paid uh, $500 a look, for example, and you have to pay for all of the expenses yourself, which in styling is like literally a bajillion dollars because you have to pay for messengers, you have to pay for DHL, you have to pay for fittings, for tailors, like all of this stuff. So, you know, a $500 flat fee doesn't actually cover anything. It's like, it's like you're operating a loss. You may as well get Monopoly money. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's super interesting. And I think it makes a lot of sense where he's basically being like, you know, if they just put us in their contracts. Right. Mm-hmm. Then which is true. And, you know, stylists, especially these days have like it's so much power in just like somebody can completely change the, the way that the public sees them just I mean, by we whatever just saw they wear. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say what's also interesting about this is that, like, based on what you were just saying, Chloe, like, styling is such a, like, a almost like a blanket job in the sense yeah. that it covers so many things, right? It goes, yes, it starts with celebrity, but it's like, is it just a, re- like, it goes from red carpet to, like, some some celebrities that even style, like, on their day-to-day. Like, if they're traveling yeah. somewhere, they get styled to the airport. Well, Kay Young said that it'll be written into, like, a studio contract, yeah. airport looks. It has to. Like, there's no other way, right? But I think what's interesting about this is that, like, you sort of, in a sense, styling is such, it's it's a very new career path. And Mm -hmm. I have so many friends that are trying to start a stylist or, like, you know, sort of, like, figuring out their way into becoming stylists. And it's a very informal gig, right? So I think the unionizing of it all, I think it's positive because it starts to sort of formalize a lot of these things that are very loose. And I think also, you know, just fashion with fashion stylists in general. Yeah. 
Like that's because that's a like magazine or whatever editorial stylist, I guess. Because um, also imagine like a stylist strike. I mean, a lot of girlies would be crying <laughs> on the streets. A lot of people would be scared. <laughs> like you know what I mean. Celebrities would not be seen. No, it would just be like. It would be like a Twilight Zone. Like it would you wake be like up the one 90s. day. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but that was that. I don't think people have that kind of style anymore. No. Also, you I mean, I was late to work to. this morning because I did, couldn't decide what to wear. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> and my friend works at Tom Brown, and I was like, I wonder what it would feel like to have a uniform every day. <laughs> it's like, go. yeah, I remember when you were in school. I was, and I hated my uniform, and now I realize. Oh, I liked it. I love a uniform. I love my school yeah, uniform. I miss a uniform. Sometimes when I like used to see like Tawny and Grace and Phyllis Posnick walking around mm-hmm. like in their uniform, I was like, I wish I had like the confidence to Same. just come in just to that. that. But maybe you have to be sixty plus and an yeah. icon. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, but I think right? you can still have like a uniform. I feel like I take from them the sort of like the building blocks. Yeah, you know, like Virginia always wears like a. A white leg trouser, a great right. trouser, like a good sandal. Yeah. yeah, and so in my head, I'm like, okay, skirts. Yeah, <laughs> you nice. have building blocks like big shirt, big jacket, <laughs> big pant. It's giving categories triple XL. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's because Jose likes to feel petite. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I love feeling petite. I love a tent. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of tent, uh, <laughs> actually, speaking of uniforms and things to buy. Oh, yeah, that's true. I just felt like there were two very interesting articles this week about yeah. how people, women are still, even though like half of the magazines we used to read when we were bibbes um, mm-hmm. don't exist anymore, women still want to know what to buy and from people who they trust. And so there's a New York Times article about how newsletters and substacks are the new magazines. Yeah. And then Lauren Sherman at Puck sort of reiterated that and, and filled that out a bit. And I thought there were – it was – she was very right. And it's interesting that these women with their affiliate links are making a lot of money. And mm-hmm. there's what pushing product – like the one thing that stuck out in Lauren's column was that um, she mentioned a friend's small shoe brand was put on a shopping guide of an online magazine and it didn't – it sold like four pairs of shoes. But then it was also mentioned on Becky Malinsky's great newsletter, Five Great Things, which she sort of each week – gives a very curated list of five things to buy. And apparently it, that made that shoe sell out within like a week. And it's just fascinating the power of personal recommendation. Yeah. Do you guys – how many Substacks do you guys subscribe to? Not many. I subscribe to yeah. Becky. Mm-hmm. Hunter Harris, which is not uh, a Hunter fashion Harris one. Like, yeah. It's so funny. Essential. Yeah. And – oh, and Magazine, the other one. Or Magasin. Yeah, Magazine. the Laura Riley. I don't Riley know one. about Magazine. Who? What is? Who is Laura Riley, and what is that? You know, I think she's like a cutie. Actually, I think I came across Laura Riley through Rachel Tosh on Supulent Tips. Mm-hmm. Okay, which, which is one, one of, my of the yeah, and one of the OG like email because that's a subscription only news uh, email, mm-hmm. not newsletter. Yeah, but I think maybe she linked out to her once. I think Laura does like she also does really great shopping curation, but you know, it's more like here is a weird pair of like bless wrap jeans yeah. that you yeah. get on the essence sale anyway you were gonna say about no i was just gonna say what's interesting to me about all of this is that like at the beginning this was such a huge thing for magazines but also because of the editor right like you kind of wanted to see what your editor like what your predilected editor was recommending mm-hmm. and now you see it like 
with these people that are like, maybe some of them used to be editors or writers, some of them are influencers, some of them are like somewhere in between. But that's what's interesting to me. At the end of the day, it's still almost like a personal recommendation. It's just repackaged. Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with like our collective obsession with the idea of community. You you prefer a signature by someone's name other than like a byline in a magazine because that almost makes you feel like you're part of a more curated mm-hmm. or more specific community. I mean, it's interesting. I will say I'm like, I'm not a big, I'm not an affiliate link girly. Like I don't look up like, what are the, what's the pot I should buy, right? And I like go over like a link, a, a listicle of like the 20 best pots and like oh, sold on Amazon or whatever. I will say Rachel's Opulent Tips. Oh, like, Rachel Tashin's Opulent yeah, Tips. It's love. so Total delight. good. The so headline, good. it actually made me open it on vacation because the headline love. was, uh, glassware that would make Proust cry. <laughs> yes. What, one thing but it's that, an authority. Yeah, right? it's, it's an like, authority. Exactly. It's women. Mo- I, all the ones we mentioned are women. Yeah. Who we know mostly from another. We. It's not like new names in our life. Mm-hmm. It's women who we followed their careers and we trust them as industry exactly. experts. Like for me, Becky Malinsky has been a market editor for so long. Mm-hmm. She's but also a writer and she just has such a easy sort of fluency with like what's good but not in a fussy sort of pretentious mm-hmm. way yeah. and I have to say like last weekend five great work pants I was like going through them I didn't buy anything but I was like oh these Maria Bananas trousers yeah. maybe that's my row alternative mm-hmm. and yeah. it just I don't it's there's something much more um, conversational it feels like I'm yes. at a coffee with a friend who knows what she's talking about shopping yeah. wise rather yeah. than and I think because flipping. you know or know of these women enough you also like feel like their lifestyles are a little bit more understandable or at least more like approachable to us. One thing that's interesting is that, you know, the way that the Times framed the article being like the new fashion magazines. But I think in a way, like a lot of these women have authority from also from having a fashion magazine. In yeah. a fa- you know what <laughs> yes. I mean? Like we trust you because we know that your work experience sort of, you know, your yeah. work experience is like your your receipt mm-hmm. that you know what you're exactly. talking about. Yeah. Anyway, fashion magazines anyway, forever. Lucky magazine, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, people. It is honestly. Yeah. It is lucky magazine. It is lucky magazine. It's totally. Yeah, lucky magazine. Even in style for another. Yeah. But I just have such strong memories of like, just licking my finger, rifling through Lucky Magazine in college. Like, can that we, was... like, can we talk about Lucky Magazine had stickers? Yes. So you could mark each page. With, like that was so genius. Yes, that was very cute. Kim France apparently has a. Kim, Fr- she has a great. She has a podcast too. I don't know. I just read about it in the Times thing that yeah. apparently she has a sub. Is it just a podcast? Or that was Maybe just she both. has both. It's both. I think it's a subsect for ladies yeah. over 50? 50. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was ladies yeah. over 40, and I was like, oh my God, that's no. almost me. Anyway, so love Kim Fran. Shout out Kim Fran. Shout Woof. out Kim Fran. The run through will be back in just a moment. I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411. And sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand. Always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. 
Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Maybe a chef-grade range made you want to hone your cooking skills, or a high-tech tennis racket made you want to work on your backhand. I recently bought a new pair of running shoes, and that made me love hitting the pavement again. Well, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. And we're back with the run-through. Today, we have Naomi Elize on the show. Naomi is a market editor at Vogue and a podcaster and one of the best talent scouts for up-and-coming designers that we know. We wanted to chat with Naomi about many things, one of which was her own podcast called So What Do You Do Again? that highlighted women of color in the fashion industry and was host to uh, one such guest as Cho Minotti. And that is a fabulous episode that everyone should listen to. But we also wanted to talk to Naomi about navigating work-life balance, which is something we don't talk about very often because uh, in the last couple of years, Naomi has lost both of her parents and really struggled with how to juggle that with her job and take care of herself. And it was great to hear from her a little bit. Who are the exciting designers that she's watching right now? Well, welcome, Naomi. We are so excited to talk to you. We've actually, I feel like as a group, been talking about you coming on for like six months. So we're (laughs) very excited to have you Finally, (laughs) I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and it was lovely because I remember you you had your own podcast and yeah. you invited me on yes. to your podcast. Uh, I really listened fun. to that this weekend and oh, it was did? so fun, mostly because I feel like I learned all these things about Choma that yes. I didn't know. Whoa, whoa, what did you learn about me? <laughs> I was like crying <laughs> listening about your first childhood memory being these patent leather Mary Jane. <laughs> It's like a... All true. I mean, the most inspiring and also the best event. <laughs> With white Iconic. frilly socks. White frilly socks. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, was... The dream. <laughs> I love hearing you talk about your dad's style. And yeah. I, I mean, I was shocked by his... Uh, Choma's father, when he moved to the UK as a student, was... Um, so particular about the kind of coat he was going to buy. It needed to be a really high quality, eventually a cashmere jacket that he went without a coat yeah. for his first British winter and got tuberculosis. Yes, oh my he God. did. Yes, I mean, that is, did. it's like uh, an O. Henry story. Of, oh, like, no. uh, good grief. <laughs> Co- commitment to quality. A little wow. bit too, too much. Too much commitment to quality. Taking it to another level. Yes. <laughs> Oh, thank <laughs> you. Naomi, can you introduce yourself and yes. tell us a little bit about what your job entails? Yes. So my name is Naomi Elize. I am 
a Haitian woman from South Florida. I am a market editor at Vogue, and I know a lot of people tend to get confused as to what a market editor actually does. Yep. <laughs> so usually my usual spiel is I like to just say I am a liaison between the brands, the designers, and the stylists. So let's say Alex Harrington is shooting another cover for us. and Alex he Harrington wants, is a, a yep, stylist yes. at Vogue. And does a lot of our cover shoots, a lot of our editorials. And if he wants Mew Mew look three, he's <laughs> going to get look three. And I will be emailing them, contacting them, and doing whatever I need to do to get that look in the office at the proper time. But other than that, it's it's a lot about building and maintaining relationships. And that includes going to the market appointments, the press appointments, your dinners, your events. First of all, I feel like people are always asking me, like, what on earth is a market editor? So thank you for explaining yeah. that. And two, there's different markets. Yes. So what does that look like? And there's how are those split amongst the yeah. fashion team? So I work closely with Mae Morsh, who is my colleague. And so I handle the French and British market. Market. So let's say Mew Mew shows in Paris. So I will take Mew Mew and then May does the American and the Italian market. So Parenza Scolaire, she that falls under her market. So that's interesting. It's the market depends on where they show. Yeah. That's so, where, what Mew we've Mew been to doing. me, I think it was an Italian brand. Right. Because of Prada. But since they show in Paris, huh. I take it on. Okay. But it gets a little muddled sometimes. And <laughs> I'll look at May like, do I do this or do you? Like, what? And she, we're just like, whoever well, like wants to request it. When the Rose shows in, the, in France, where. She will still take it on. Okay. Yeah. And how long have you been at Vogue? Honestly, I think it's been around six and a half years. Wow. Six and a half years. A I started time. in 2017. Um, and I was a freelance jewelry assistant, uh. just just trying to do any and everything to stand out and just, you know, be on the ground at Vogue. And it's it's been such a journey. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I I know that you had something very, very difficult happen to you and yeah. challenging happen to you while while you've been working here. You know, I was really saddened to hear that you lost both your parents mm. in a very short space of time. And I think that's something that we don't talk about so much mm-hmm. about how you handle grief with such a demanding job. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like for you? You know, and it was during when when I lost my mother during that process. that was around the pandemic, mm. um, like oh the thick of the pandemic, wow. which was already another layer on top of everything. Um, and so when she passed in like the beginning of September, 2020? I had twenty twenty. Twenty twenty, yeah. I just had a very honest conversation with my boss, Virginia Smith, who I'm very, very thankful for. And, you know, she gave me the space to take a month off and to really just allow me to just think about what really happened and just let it resonate with myself and just have the time to grieve. Because mm-hmm. during that time, I was, you know, doing the podcast full-time, which was a full-time job, at, on top of my actual full-time job, mm-hmm. and then on top of being a full-time caregiver to my mother because my father had to work, you know, to keep insurance and just keep things, the lights on and keep the bills paid. Wow. Um, so you were at home in Florida I was taking care of your mm-hmm. mom working remotely mm-hmm. so Virginia once but before she passed you were doing all of those things yeah. at the same time so also I can imagine that I I just remember when my dad died when I was really young like my mom just got super sick like yeah and afterward it was like wow. she got the flu she got yeah. like she just got all the things she hadn't had for a year of mm-hmm. taking it's like your body just finally gives up so I feel yeah. like 
it's so nice that you were able to have just a few oh. weeks afterward to sort of just get yourself back together. Oh, I'm I'm so thankful for that time because also just the process of like planning a funeral, like mm. God bless, I have two older sisters and my I had my dad at the time that we could like just congregate together and lean on each other during that time to, you know, just get through that process that those initial two weeks, because that's the most difficult, I feel. But, um, you know, once my father passed, which was a shock for all of us, because Mm. it just kind of felt like it just felt like we had the worst luck. And mm. and we I couldn't even imagine that it was actually happening. Like I just felt like I was in another another world that maybe maybe I was asleep. Maybe this was just a really bad dream. And he passed within two months of us finding out in the end of it was around the end of August when we found out in twenty twenty one. So it was very soon close. That you found out that he was sick? Yeah. Okay. And wow. then he passed. Two, three months later, he passed the day after Halloween. Mm. But I know because he is so stingy and I know he was overhearing the nurse when he was in hospice saying she didn't believe he would make it through Halloween. And he did. And I was like, that was my dad's last hurrah. And I'm so thankful for that because it is just him and all his essence because he's always trying to prove everyone wrong and anything against him of what his will is. Um, And so, you know, that process of losing my parents and trying to navigate such a demanding job was really hard. Mm. Um, To be honest, I was very depressed for the last three years and truly probably haven't seen much of the light till recently. Mm. It was hard to navigate this job that I was once so passionate about. But once losing my parents and having depression kick, I lost a lot of passion for everything. Right. And so it just felt like I was kind of starting from scratch. And once you kind of get that light back, it's easier. And you realize, oh, no, this is this is what I'm meant to do. And there is purpose because just because my parents are not here physically, they're spiritually with me. And, you know, I'll take them coming to my dream once in a while. And that will be my, my one thing I can hold on to. But yeah, I like to just think, okay, if I can't make them proud physically while they're here, I can make them proud spiritually. Hmm. What was some of the, because I mean, I think, People always say it takes time and, you know, um, some people want to throw themselves into work. Yeah. Was it time? What was, what was, what helped you? Yeah. What what, what kind of, what The grieving process looks so different for everyone. I know some people who just immediately went back to work and that worked for them. Me, I needed the time. I think one, it was making sure I communicated and, and took that time for myself and also didn't put pressure on myself to do all the things that I was doing before my parents passed and kind of eased myself back into it. Um, And also just asking for help, Mm. leaning on people, leaning on my boyfriend, leaning on my sisters, leaning on my friends, something that I didn't really do before that I still to this day struggle with because it's hard to sometimes around grief you don't want to be reminded of your grief. And when you speak to people about it, you could f- sense their sadness for you. And you're just 
already me, I'm very emotional and I can sense other people's emotions as well. So it's like double whammy of sadness. (laughs) So sometimes I'm just like, I don't even want to deal with it. I can handle it myself. And then I realize, no, I can't. And also just getting my body moving, exercising. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good note about just like taking on the sort of the codependence of worrying about someone else's reaction to you talking about your grief. Like I feel like I still apologize Mm -hmm. if I'm like, oh, my father died. And everyone's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's like I'm compensating for making them uncomfortable. But right. this thing that's okay. Like, it, you know, for me, it happened you know, 25 years ago. Like, it, we're all, you know, can right. live together and talk about that. But it's kind of the same as when, I don't know, when we were talking about talking about this with you, I was like, it's similar to being at work and a colleague is in the elevator and they're like, how are you today? And there's really no option other than to be like, good, I'm yeah, fine. Yeah, there really isn't. And it's it's Hard. kind of – it's a shame because sometimes it's nice to be like, honestly, like I just had a very frustrating subway ride yeah. and I was pissed about this and my mom called and she annoyed me about that. And you don't do it. And yeah. I don't know. I, I just wonder, did you find that you were able to be honest at work about how you were feeling or were you just sort of powering through in this sort of – closed down, compartmentalized. Yeah, honestly, I started just responding with the truth. If Mm. someone asked me how I was doing and I wasn't okay, I'll be like, honestly, I've seen better days, but... And how do people react to that? I think people appreciated the honesty because then they felt like it was a safe space for them to also be honest and be like, yeah, I'm not feeling great either. Mm. Because what I found was... When I communicated and started really talking about the grief, not just with my safe haven of my boyfriend and my sisters and my friends, but with my colleagues and and other people that may I may have not known we had similarities, it was a part of the healing process, too. It was a form of therapy within its own. Right. And it just created this space within my head of like, okay— no, everyone is going through their own process of grief, too. Uh, every, a lot of people have experienced loss in some way or form. And we maybe it's, of course, we're not going to have the same exact experiences, but we can relate on a certain level field. And, right. you know, we could talk about things. And maybe at that day, that person can come to me and, and seek, I don't know, just just common just hurt that then we could work through it together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it created this safe space for me that I was like, you know what? I'm I'm tired of just saying I'm okay. No, I'm I'm gonna be honest and say I'm not doing okay. And maybe that person can, can offer me help. I, you know, I always think you have such a your ear to the ground um when it comes to new designers, and you've been really good at championing BIPOC designers, and I see today you're wearing a Wales Bonner. <laughs> Me too. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think we're all wearing black designers today. I'm wearing Martine Rose. Oh, my God. Amazing. I love this dress. This is, is um, a Wales Bonner dress I actually got when I was pregnant as, like, a pregnancy dress that then I could wear after, and three different people in the Vogue office have it, and we all look different <laughs> in it. It's so funny. <laughs> Me, Jesse, and Olivia Horner all, and I'm just waiting for the day where we all wear it the same day. <laughs> <laughs> also the chicest pregnancy dress. <laughs> yeah, but it's great because I, I hate buying stuff or I hated buying stuff when I was pregnant that then I was going to just like yeah. right. throw away. It's and right. this was – it's hard to find those pieces that like you actually want to wear after. Oh, my God. But anyway, I'm a, a I'm, a big, I'm a big fan. It's a great dress <laughs> and it's a great shirt. So 
Yeah, no, tell us about, you know, who you're following or yeah. why it's important to you. Yeah, you know, I have so, there's so many incredible designers out there, but Fidoel, I mean, she is an incredible, incredible designer. Mm. And she also just launched her new store in Brooklyn. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to go out there. What's the store like? I don't know like? about her. Oh, you would love Fee. She is okay. incredible. so much fun. Great prints, great fabrics, just like beautiful flowing, just... You feel beautiful in her okay. clothing. She's an American designer. She's based here. Okay. Yeah, she's based here, based in New York, Brooklyn. Um, I haven't been to the store yet, but I passed yeah. by it yesterday on it's my way in, to get where, my braids. Where exactly is it's it? It's in like kind of. Uh, I think I think it's like Crown Heights, Flatbush area. Okay, okay. It's the Little Caribbean nice. um, neighborhood. It's such a monumental moment in in her career as a designer, and it's. Exciting it's to a big see deal someone, to have a store. and also in the neighborhood in which she grew up in. Yeah. So it's, it's oh, wow, very special. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And she started making all of her clothes in that, like, yeah, in that neighborhood. She's, yeah, she's a one woman show in many yeah. ways too. She was yeah. for a long time. How do you spell Fanuel so I can Google it? Yeah, of course, F E mm-hmm. and then N O E L. Okay, and of course another black woman designer. Her name is Shade Mims, another Brooklyn-based designer. Oh, she, I don't think I know her from Edos. I don't know if you. Hmm. She makes gr- incredible accessories that are different okay, than what maybe, you've ever maybe, seen. Maybe, yeah, maybe. That, Edos is E D A S. Yes, E D A S. She is one of the sweetest people. Oh, because Edos is Shade backwards. Yeah, there we go. There you go. Sneaky. Oh, yes, yes, yes. She yes, started yes. off with I've jewelry and has recently gone, not recently, probably a few years, but has been in the bag game and just really killing it with what she's been doing. Um, and then Bernard James, uh, he is a black man who is a jewelry designer that makes the ins- most insane jewelry I mean, he came in recently, and I tried on one of the tennis necklaces. And in my head, I was like, oh, yeah, I could buy this. (laughs) And then I was like, how much is this? And he was like, way above 20K. I was like, okay, let me put it back. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I love the idea of a tennis necklace for men. Yeah. Yeah. That is so chic. He also is coming out with this. Hopefully, I'm not releasing anything that's in barcode. Uh-uh. But sorry, Bernard. Um, this incredible <laughs> tennis bracelet that goes from black diamonds down, like in an ombre to white Ooh. diamonds. Oh wow, that which is pretty. Is, I want that. Yeah, I'm realizing that maybe people don't all know what a tennis bracelet or a oh, tennis necklace yeah, are. Can you give us a little background? Yeah, on it's that? just think about all the diamonds in one necklace. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Everett chose to wear a diamond bracelet during her matches in 1978. Okay. And from then on, it became known as the tennis Tennessee. bracelet. But it's like a single yeah. one strand of all diamonds, usually a bracelet, but also a necklace. Yeah. It's, you know, same thing. And it's usually quite tight to the mm-hmm. neck. Um Probably more, most popular in the 20s, no? Yeah. A sort of uh, like a flapper, flapper yeah. oh, I'd love a tennis. I'd love a tennis necklace. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> uh, Naomi is going to Japan for two weeks. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Do you have like a list of fashion shopping places you're going to go in Japan? Yes. I reached out to the Vogue Japan peeps. Oh, what do they recommend? They, love I'll that. send it to you. They have good resale. Yes. I would go to some of the consignment stores. Yes. That was that was Because my plan really is great. to shop. I told Blue, I'm like, two days, I'm shopping. 
We'll Great. figure out anything and else. Blue, blue is your boyfriend. Blue he, is my boyfriend. Like, oh, how would you describe you your style? Like, I'm super, I, I'm sort of yeah. curious to know because you, you know, you, you're quite. You like to experiment. Yeah. You, like, what, what are the core tenets of your style? I just, I think for me, I don't like to put myself within like a box of like what my style is because I truly it changes every mm. day of what I want to wear because like what I'm wearing today even though at the base of it is my style with the mix of the patterns mm. and the prints it's still very more like lady than what I usually would wear but right. what just, makes it lady I don't I think there's the length of the skirt I, I but feel lady it's also can you describe Prada, so <laughs> yeah Prada gives lady anytime yeah <laughs> can you describe your outfit for so, audio listeners yes I am wearing this polka dot black and white Wales Bonner uh, button-up shirt and I have this red silk Prada skirt from I'm forgetting which year but it has a flower applique on the front and oh, just and like it's sort of, is it like a cropped pencil skirt yeah it's like vibe. a cropped yeah. pencil skirt and it's I think with I, I like to balance it out with just like the thong heel to kind of give it a little bit of height and just make it a little bit more like young and fun. Um, but it's it's weird because recently I, I feel like I've been leaning more towards like minimal wear, like just yeah. wanting to you put and on everyone something. else. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's so odd because I'm usually just like constantly wearing the brightest colors and pattern mixing. And I, I think it just really fluctuates with how mm-hmm. I'm feeling and what also what I recently bought and what I'm just anxious to wear. Yeah. Um, what are you anxious to wear? What you've what have you bought recently? So I'm in like vacation mode. I'm yeah, in what are you buying for Japan? Yeah, yeah. Tell it, yeah, what are you gonna well, pack? Well, Japan, I'm not gonna buy anything for it because I know you I'm gonna spend. buy everything. But I have to go not half, but I'm going to Jamaica for my friend's um bachelorette in next weekend. Fun. And so like it's all like Nia Thomas crochet dress. I want all the Diotima um oh, yeah. crystal and Diotima is a Jamaican diamond yes. designer, so it'd be very, it's very perfect. Perfect. For I don't no Diotima. Oh my god. She's one of Incredible. the CVFF CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund finalists. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. D I O T I M A. Yeah. Are there any summer trends that you're kind of into not into, hate to see, love to see, so annoying to you? <laughs> honestly, I've I've been leaning back into and I hate that you have to call them Bermuda shorts cuz it brings you They're back tough to just to do, like though. middle school, but like they're kind of fun to wear. You, they yeah. just you just need them to be very oversized, right? Oversized, That's the key. either super low waist or high waisted and yeah. oversized. Like you can't really do that mid waist, or you're you're bringing it back to middle school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I've been leaning into. I love the idea of people just wearing. To, like the socks and the sandal heels. Yeah. I haven't quite nailed that down um, because <laughs> I am like completely falling out of the heels you in my socks. Y- you don't want to be like Chomo with her Mary Janes at four years old. And her- <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would definitely really want to socks. be because it's very <laughs> Mew Chomo. It is very Mew. She's ahead of her time. <laughs> where do you find new designers like the ones we were talking about? Like, where do you? Yeah. Is it people reaching out to you? Or are you finding them online? Are you Instagram, it's, TikTok? It's a mix of it all. Um, TikTok has been a great resource because it just really the algorithm is insane and it'll just pop up on my for you. My- 
is just not doing. You gotta. What do, do I need to do? Interact with it. You no. have to like. Yeah, you have That's to like problem. like the videos right. that you like and right. search. They look at your. Maybe searches. I like the wrong thing. Instagram's great. You know, Albert does that amazing up next designer page. Yeah, Albert, Albert IL. IL. Yes, A Y A L. <laughs> does Up Next Designer, which is a great resource for a lot of people. And people who are just adjacent to fashion love to follow that page, too. And okay. see what, what they're kind of seeing what's up next. And, you know, word of mouth, people who email me, people who come to mm. the office to do a desk side, which is essentially them coming to meet either in a conference room or in the lobby of our It's floor. never actually at it's a desk. It's not at the desk. It once was. But I now wondered that. Was it? I guess people would, when people had offices. I think it was before my time when it was like actually at your yeah. desk. But um, people now, we just do it in a conference room or we do it within the lobby of our, our building. And, you know, it's a great way to just have like 20, 30 minutes with a designer. And it's a very Willie Lomany thing. Yeah. Like they come with their wares, mm-hmm. they screw them out, and then you get to sort of get a yeah, and it feels casual, and, personal. and yeah. it feels just like you're able to connect with them in a different way that's not Zoom or over email, you know, it, it's more personable. Oh, where do you love to shop? Oh, my God. I love to shop. Okay. So I don't really shop in person anymore. I feel like it's been very hard for that. That's why Japan will be so fun. Japan will be amazing. But I love to check Poshmark, which is so funny. I get overwhelmed (laughs) by Poshmark. You have to know what you're looking for. You have to be like, okay, I'm looking for this obscure Margiela tabby boot. Maybe I'll find it on Poshmark, which you may f- actually find. Okay. Um, and I like deep. How many sometimes. tabbies do you have? I have, I think, 11 pairs. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Can you describe a tabby? Oh, yes. Yeah. So a tabby is 11 like. 11 pairs? That's hilarious. It's so crazy, but I, I want more. <laughs> um, <laughs> so a tabby is essentially like, what do you, like you know, like on a horse, like a hoof. It's that in a boot form or uh, you could do it in a sandal. You could do it in a flat. I'm probably not even describing this well. But it's, it's <laughs> it, it sounds so much – it looks better than it sounds, basically what I'm trying to say. It's a but, very, very recognizable Margiela yeah. shoe that they have now have in every single possible iteration. Yes. It started as a well, boot. Well, I, I mean, think. I think originally it was started in Japan. Right. Yes. <laughs> they're basically – they're it's a shoe, but instead of it just being a normal toe, there is an indent for the yeah, big toe. The big so the toe. big toe is split. As, mm-hmm. So it's sort of like mittens versus gloves mm-hmm. if it was just a thumb. It's like, like a hoof. Yeah. Thank you. What I'm like coveting right now is the crystal Margiela tabby pumps. Ooh, they sound oh cute. My God. Those are like from their fall collection. Wow. I've been like hounding the website trying to see if it's out yet because I just won not even close to getting married yet, but that's what I want to be oh, yeah, my that'd wedding be a fun shoe. Wedding shoe, and yeah. probably comfortable. Yeah. What else do you collect? Like, what do you what do you kind of collect? What else do you have eleven of? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what I'm asking. Honestly, I have a lot of Christopher John Rogers. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, but also I just I love his clothes. Yeah, you wear you wear his clothes so well. Thank you. I. I have one of his most iconic pieces, the boob dress, which has... What is the boob oh, dress? I so, love the boob dress. Yeah, I know which one that is. so good to kind of describe it for you all. It is a knit long dress. It has cap, like it kind of short sleeves on it. It's striped down the whole thing. But on the chest area, you have this other... 
like another pattern. It's it kind of is like, like a, a bullseye, yeah, yeah like circular. a circular pattern yeah, on the like brass. A bullseye, yeah, you're right. and it's just a fun dress to wear. Yeah, wow, it's very playful. Yeah, I love bags. I really do love. I'm like I to my core. I really am an accessories girl because sounds I like love, it. I'm like yeah, a pair of tabbies. <laughs> I know when I first. I remember when I first bought my pair of tabbies and I had a gift card and it's still like I felt like it was still so expensive and I asked like all my friends on Instagram I'm like should I do it should I make the plunge and now I'm like all right we're gonna just swipe the card and we're getting this one <laughs> <laughs> Naomi thank you so much yeah, for such coming a it's been so much fun on. that's it for this episode of The Run Through The Run Through Evoke is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment the show is produced by Susie Lechtenberg, Chelsea Daniel, and Alex John Burns. It's engineered by Jake Loomis, Gabe Kiroga, and Kevin Burasa. And mixed by Mike Kutchman. See you soon. Bye. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.